Puxatani Puxatani Phil says that spring's coming early. Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 136. Gem Caesar, 17, Louisiana Deer Hunting and Swamp Bottom Media. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hi, I'm Greg Rich with Huntmasters. You're listening to one of my favorite podcasts on iTunes, the Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast. Hi, this is Jackie Bushman of Buckmasters. You're listening to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registries. Big Buck Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors. You're listening to my favorite deer hunting podcast on the internet. Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the show as you loyally do each and every week. We cannot thank you enough for being here, right here on the radio with us on this podcast, listening through your iDevice or whatever it is you're listening through. We cannot say thank you enough. Dusty, what's happening? Uh, it's like 60 degrees here in Ohio. It's kind of weird and crazy all in one, Jay. Has this not been the strangest winter that we've ever seen? Yeah, the groundhog says it's over, Jay. Yeah, Puxatani Phil says that spring's coming early. Yeah, come on, Phil. I hope you're right this year. It's, uh, it's been nuts. I mean, uh, we're literally, you know, all the snow that we had is gone in most of our fields here, too. And New Hampshire is done, known for, I mean, we had four feet of snow on the ground at this point last year. That's four a, feet versus that, two inches. That's crazy, dude. We, we've had, like, no snow here in Ohio. We've literally had, like... One time it snowed maybe two inches maximum, and then the rest of the time that uh, there was nothing. You know what this means? It means that uh, the bugs are going to be terrible this coming year. The deer herds are going to be super healthy because of no winter kill, you know, especially in New Hampshire, Jay. That's something that really uh, causes havoc on your deer herd and your turkey herd is the snow that you guys had got previous years. It just kills the deer. There's nowhere for them. To, they can't walk in it. They can't eat. They can't dig. Yep. They just lay there and die. It's sad, but true. Yeah, I mean, they, and they have adapted their to this environment. They they are okay with doing that. But here's the big problem: is that they'll yard up, they'll stay warm, they'll live off of their fat stores. Yes, they some starve and die, but not a not a ton. But what really happens is when the snow gets deep, and then we get a heavy rain, and the heavy rain freezes. The deer are heavier than the predators, the coyotes, the bobcats, and the they can now chase what the the predators can now walk. Walk on top of the snow and chase down the other deer that break through the snow into the deeper snow. So that's where the big problems start to happen. It's actually the coyotes chasing the deer and trapping them in deep snow. That's where the problems usually happen. We didn't have that last year. It was all nice and light and powdery all season. So we didn't have that problem. There was some starvation, obviously. Um, but this year... They can run on the snow. Nothing's deep. There's plenty of food around. I think the coyotes are having a hard time this year. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. But, uh, you know, hopefully 
2016 into 2017, you'll have one heck of a deer herd up there in New Hampshire and be able to, you know, kill a nice mature buck. Yeah. I'm, I think the 2016 fall deer season is going to be tremendous. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, and, and I don't know if I want to wear it like this every year, but certainly every other year would be great. And the deer season just has to improve overall. No question. Yeah, yep. For sure. You know, it's uh, been a rough week, couple weeks here for me. I've been trying to work out a little bit and get myself tuned up a little bit. But, man, I'm, I'm sore and wore out, but uh, I'm going to keep pushing through it, Jay. All right. And you're still going to get back into the deer woods? When does your season end? Yeah, it goes out uh, this coming Sunday, February 7th. So I'm going to try to get out maybe two more times and see if I can't seal the deal on a big old slick head. But uh, other than that, things are winding down. It's one of them things where it's coming to an end and you're almost like, Man, where did the hunting whitetail season go this right, year? Right. It's passed and gone already. And I, I know New Hampshire's been out since what the fifteenth of December. Yes, yeah, we've, we don't even think about deer season now. It's all you know, shed hunting and uh, maybe doing some scouting. But usually, not even this time of year. We're usually still walking around with our snowshoes, trying to because the deer really have just yarded up. We don't really have any patterns to go on yet. Um, but uh, this year, they're moving around. Yeah, it's it's this crazy year. Uh, you know, people that ice fish here in Ohio are struggling. Uh, you know, I I kind of feel sorry for the guys up north that depend on the, the ice fishery and mm-hmm. and they're not being able to you know get out on the water much. And it's just it's been a rough year. And I know the same same goes for New Hampshire. I'm sure the ice is a little sketchy out that way too, ain't it? We've got some very interesting ice patterns that have formed on some of the lakes, some stuff you've never seen because there's no snow. It's all clear to the, the bottom, but we've had some like um, heaves where ice is, is lifting up upon itself and then like layering itself um, one stack at a time where they get, you know, just the, they push up on each other kind of like a, a, an earthquake might where two tectonic plates come together and lift up. It's kind of crazy. Um, if you want to see some interesting footage and pictures of some of the ice that's forming in New Hampshire, go to Tim Moore Outdoors pages. Um, he's been doing a lot of ice fishing. has some great photos of stuff on Lake Winnipesaukee where all these weird ice formations are occurring. Yeah, it's pretty intense uh, to watch that unfold. Yep, and I think we'll probably have an early ice out this year, uh, which means... Who knows what that means, but the, the turkey's going to be rocking, deer are going to be rocking, and it's uh, I'll, I'll take one of these winners every other year or so. No yeah, problem there. I cannot to wait to be in New Hampshire, May 6th to 10th, turkey hunting with you. Crazy, man. We're going to get a rocking up here, and, and we're going to put you on a bird, and you're going to go home with a, a New Hampshire long beard. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about our guest this week. We're going to talk to Jim Caesar. Now, Jim is a 17-year-old young man who's doing some amazing outdoor hunting videography, and he's going to we're going to a place where uh, to, to talk to Jim in Louisiana, where there is never any snow. It's cool, but never any snow. So he's he's hunting in a, almost like a tropical area down in Louisiana. Um, but man, the stuff he's putting together, I mean, it rivals like Heartland Bowhunter. And some of the best videography hunting footage we've seen, and he's just 17 years old. He got a camera, got a you know, his dad bought him a computer to put some of this stuff together. What a talented kid! Yeah, it's uh, super cool, and and uh, you know he's going to take himself to the next level with what he's doing. Before we get to Jim, let's go to Jim Keller with the deer news. 
For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story, Missouri deer hunting season comes in with nearly 280,000 deer taken. The Missouri Department of Conservation has reported that 279,401 deer were killed during the 2015-2016 season, which ended on January 15th. This is up more than 21,000 from the 2014-2015 season. Top counties for deer harvested were Texas County, Franklin County, Howell County, with a combined total of almost 17,000 deer harvested. The Missouri archery season accounted for almost 51,000 of the deer harvested, which is down about 1,000 deer from the previous year. Missouri has adopted a mandatory reporting process through either the phone or internet, so these numbers are based on deer check-in totals. For more information on the Missouri deer season, including trends and historical data, please visit their website, huntfish.mdc.mo.gov. Our next story takes us to North Carolina, where they've introduced a new poacher turn-in program. The North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission has announced a new reward program for people who turn in or report poaching activity. In coordination with the North Carolina Bowhunters Association, a fund has been developed for payout of rewards for information leading to poaching-related convictions. Part of the fines assessed on the convicted poachers actually go back into this fund to cover the reward paid out for any tips related to that case. Rewards can range from $100 to $1,000. This program covers not only the poaching of deer, but the illegal taking of any game, fish, plants, trespassing, littering, theft, and the destruction of property. All tips received into the program remain anonymous and can be reported through the internet, a toll-free phone number, texting, and even a smartphone application. For more information, please check the North Carolina Wildlife Resources website at www.ncwildlife.org. Our next story takes us to Wisconsin, where they have a new state record for archery buck. The Wisconsin state record has been broken by John Cassara, who arrowed a massive buck on November 5th, 2015 at 2.55 p.m. John's buck has been certified by the Wisconsin Buck and Bear Club as a new archery record. The La Crosse County 5x5 measured a gross score of 201 and 5 eighths with a net score of 193 and 4 eighths. It has main beams of 30 and 6 eighths and 30 and 5 eighths. It also has over 42 inches of mass and 5 times over 11 inches. The buck was panel measured on January 23rd. For more details on this story, including trail cam pictures of the buck, please visit the Deer and Deer Hunting website at www.deeranddeerhunting.com. Our next story is that shed season is just around the corner. Although some areas of the Northeast were clobbered with snow in the past week or two, on average, many areas of the Midwest have experienced less than average snowfall. Bucks have started to shed their antlers and will continue to do so over the next few weeks. Peak shed hunting time typically runs in mid-February through mid-March. If you live in an area that is experiencing less than average snowfall right now, take advantage of it and start your shed hunting early. As we have mentioned in previous episodes, if local laws allow it, don't forget to combine your shed and predator hunting opportunities. Our final story takes us to Arkansas, where a family was rescued from attacking deer. This story goes back to October 21st, but I couldn't resist reporting it. The Pulaski County Sheriff's deputies were called to help a family during an assault. The call came in to 911, and the sheriffs arrived to find a few of the family members trapped inside their car. Family member Dave Baldwin made the call while his mother, stepfather, and wife were trapped by the buck on their property. The incident happened when the deer started attacking Mrs. Baldwin's car around 8.30 p.m. When her husband came out to run the deer off, instead of fleeing, the deer fought back, causing injuries that drew blood. 
The buck pinned people down and flipped them over three or four times with his antlers. Mr. Baldwin was able to wrestle the buck into a submission while his family escaped into the car for protection. When deputies arrived, the buck started to attack them, so they were left with no choice but to shoot the deer. The Baldwin family received care at a local hospital for their bruises and punctures. The buck was determined to be rutting, which helps to explain his aggressive behavior. For the full story, including the local television news coverage of the story, please check the KARK TV4 website at www.arkansasmatters.com. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registries Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. All right, thanks to Jim Keller with the Deer News. And without further ado, here's Jim Caesar with Swamp Bottom Media. Jim Caesar, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're psyched to have you. I've been monitoring you from afar via our good uh, portal called Facebook, and I am thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with your work that you're doing down there with Swamp Bottom Media. It's uh, you know, now and then you see somebody that's got a little special gift, and I don't, I don't know what the whole story is with you is yet, but we're going to find that out on this show. Um, but I'm, I'm impressed with all the videos that you're putting up and all the things that you're doing down there. Uh, you're, you're doing yeah. things in the outdoors, which is exactly what we love. So t- tell us about yourself, Jim. You're, you're, how old are you? I'm 17 years old. See, now this is fascinating right out of, this, right out of the gate here. Uh, so you're 17 years old, and you're, which is fascinating right out of the get-go. You're right out of the gate here. You're, you're getting it done. Your videography skills off the charts and the just watching your short clips are mesmerizing to be quite honest and it's all about the outdoors all about hunting and in the field and turkey hunting and deer hunting and duck hunting where does that skill come from it doesn't usually that stuff doesn't fall out of thin air well to be honest with you um i'd have to say it's just uh you know it's, it's just a passion that i have i've always I was always intrigued about outdoor videography and photography, and it's always been a, a big wish of mine to have my own show, and I just figured one day I'd go out and get myself a camera and give it a try. And uh, from there, I mean, everything's just, just been falling into plan. I, it's been a very blessed year, a couple of years for me since I started, and I must say I'm enjoying every step of the way. That's that's interesting. So did you, you just, did somebody give you a camera, or was it just something that you you – picked up and said, hey, I'm going to make some fun with this. Yes, sir. I'm glad you asked. What actually happened was um, a few, when I first actually made the decision that I wanted to get into filming, I actually picked up, if I not, if I remember correctly, it was a, um, a Pixar camera. I think the thing was about eight megapixels. And I, when I tell you, it wasn't good footage at all, but it kept the fire inside of me. And um, I got that camera and I started off filming blackbirds out of the front yard, trying to shoot them with pellet guns and stuff like that, and um, that camera ended up breaking, and, you know, everything was kind of on a setback. I figured, um, you know, well, no more camera, why am I even trying? But I just had to I just had to do it. So um, one summer, I got a job at a ranch, and um, I did a whole bunch of work, saved up all my money. Um, I mean, <laughs> I'd bust my butt day and night to the dress, and I saved up enough money to buy me a, um, a Canon Vixia HO4 400. That was my first uh, camcorder. And when I bought that camera, my uh, my papa, he bought me a, a laptop to where I can edit videos with it. And that was my start. I uh, started out, once again, with the Blackbird. That's what really, that was, was, that was what was most convenient to me. 
I wasn't open to a lot of hunting uh, properties, and I didn't have a lot of opportunities. So I just made made with what I had. Very intrigued and seeing myself on a video, maybe calling in a duck or anything like that. It was always a big, you know, a big dream of mine. And starting with the blackbirds, when I was able to see myself actually harvest the blackbird on camera, it tickled me to death, and I just wanted more and more and more from there. And um, a couple guys, a couple guys that were friends with my parents. They volunteered to take me hunting because the household that I grew up in was a loving Christian family, but, you know, they weren't outdoorsmen. They weren't sportsmen. Every now and then we'd take a family fishing trip, but that was once in every blue moon. And uh, a few of my papa's friends um, took it upon themselves to take me deer hunting for the first time. I'll never forget it. First time we were driving up to the stand, uh, a doe runs out, and I'm all excited. I'm hollering, oh, my God, there's a deer, there's a deer. And, they're, uh, and you know, they weren't mean about it or anything. They just let me. You know, they just let my feelings take control of me, and it was like, yep, that's what it's like. And um, that year, I didn't see anything. I always went into the stand with my, my little camera. I had a uh, a little wraparound mount that I would wrap around the uh, rails of the uh, tripod, and uh, I was determined. I was just determined. That year went by. Didn't see anything on stand, and, you know, I'd watch a lot of hunting shows from the Outdoor Channel and stuff like that, so that would just keep me going for the next year. Like, that's going to be me one day. And uh, the following year... I actually got a chance to shoot at a deer, missed him, of course, and uh, I had that all on camera. And uh, I mean, it was just, it was just awesome. I always did loved it. And then from there, gear got better. Um, I did a took on bigger jobs as I got older, uh, get a little bit more money, the income, so I can get better software, editing footage, uh, and even a better camera. So now I film strictly with the DSLR. Gotcha. All right. And, and what, what is a DSLR for those who are listening that have never heard of it? What does that mean? When I use it, what, what really caught my eye about a DSLR was rack focus, which means I can focus on anything that a camcorder would. Like if a deer was walking in thick brush or, you know, behind a tree, normally a camcorder will focus on the tree or on the brush. Well, with the DSLR, I have the ability to spin the focus ring and focus on the actual deer. And that was a big that was a big help to me. That was a game changer Start for you. The things gotcha. that were unseen. Okay. Yes, all right. So you have this love of videography, and, and where is this all happening? Where are you from? Where are you living? I live in a small town, Ville Platte, Louisiana. Okay. Uh, it's a town of about maybe five thousand people, and uh, I live in a rural com- community. Nothing really big. I mean, an urban community. Nothing really big. Uh, everybody's pretty much down to earth, and. Uh, um, now, now that I've gotten older, I've you know been exposed to new friends and stuff like that. And where we hunt is maybe 10, 15 minutes away from the house, or if we decide to go public land, maybe an hour drive. But it's it's nothing for us. We're young. We love to hunt. I mean, all we do, we plan to go one weekend. We go out there and make it happen. Gotcha. All right. So tell me about who goes hunting with you. You said that you don't come from a hunting family per se, so you had to kind of ad- adopt this on your own. When was the first time you went hunting? The first time I went hunting was was a was a squirrel hunting trip with uh, with, uh once again one of my papa's friends. Uh, they had a deer lease, and uh, at the time everybody was deer hunting, and uh, I decided I wanted to go squirrel hunting because at the time I didn't have a rifle of my own. I didn't, you know, I didn't have pretty much anything. I did have a twenty two, and they let me fool around with that, and that was that was my actual first hunting trip, and I never forget that. I ran around those woods all day trying to get a squirrel and I actually managed to get two of them which which was a lot to me back then yeah that tickled me to death have you learned a lot over the years have you been able to hone your skills yes sir I have I've learned a lot over the years all right 
Let, let's talk about some of those things you've learned. What, what we're trying to accomplish here on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast is to talk to world-class deer hunters and find out how they do it. What makes them so much different than the rest of the pack? What makes them successful? So you're you're doing some very special things in the woods, and um, you're granted you don't have the the age that some of us do, but you clearly have some skill sets that many are kind of wishing that they had. So I want to break this all down if we could, and kind of figure out how you approach deer hunting in general, and then get into some sp- specifics about those little things that that make you different. So yes, let's start talking about deer hunting and, and Dusty chime in here anytime you feel like you've, you've kind of created this craft of needing to film your outdoor activities and wanting to, and, yes, and clearly doing a great job of it. So just that alone has to add some element of difficulty to the, to yes, a hunt. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, what types of things do you have to do different and specially or especially because you're carrying a camera in the woods and the footage is super important to you. We can, we'll bring it down into this way. It, I have, you know, different strategies for if I'm hunting public land or if I'm going to hunt private land. A few things that I go for when I'm hunting public land, it'll be accessibility um, and it'll be shootability. I like, I like a, uh, I like a, you know, it has to be comfortable for me. Being that I have all this camera gear, I want to make sure that my camera gear is going to be safe and, you know, I'm not putting it in jeopardy. Um, first, to start it off, uh, I like a nice straight tree. I don't like one with a whole bunch of, uh, you know, um, little branches sticking off of that because it makes, you know, it makes it a lot harder for me to get out there because public land is, is pretty much first come, first serve. And whenever you get on a nice spot, you, you know, you want to get up there, get market territory before any other hunter does that day. So like, uh, the basic things that I look for when I climb a tree, I climb a tree and I, and I, uh, try to point out a few things. First things first is to see how thick it is. And the reason being that, I checked to see how thick it is because let's say a deer was to walk out and I didn't pay attention to how, how much the brush, how much brush was, you know, around the area that, that'll cause, you know, that'd be bad footage because if you're shooting a bow, if you shoot, cause I bow hunt 24 seven, if you're shooting a bow, it'll, it'll be bad footage trying to capture arrow, uh, the impact of the arrow hitting the deer through a whole bunch of brush. So I kind of look for clear areas. Uh, I try to, you know, maintain shooting windows where if, if it's really thick, I'll just clear out a brush, uh, maybe two or three shooting windows like that. And um, and wherever available, if I can find a, a hardwood flat and get up in the clear bottoms and like some places like, uh, you know, creek bottoms tend to have a, tend to be pretty clear for me. So I'll go around there, but I will not set up over water. And here in Louisiana, that's a big problem. And uh, I try to stay on high and dry ground because if I was to make a mistake and drop the camera, it has a better chance of, you know, surviving the fall if we hit dry land than going in the water. That's something that I kind of look for. Gotcha. Okay. So th- this is your public land setup. Yes, sir. So it sounds like some of your the things that you're looking for jive, not just, it's really not camera based. It's still hunting based. Like you're still looking for that right setup. But in yes, the back sir. of your head, are you always thinking about the camera angles and what happens if, if a deer steps out? Exactly. Interesting. That, see, now, it's it's not just the fact that you're carrying it's not you know normally you're just carrying a weapon and no camera you're just worried about getting the shot the good shot sure. but now you're look worried about the shot with your 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 weapon and you're worried about the shot with the camera the complexities yes, are double double fold here 
Exactly. Interesting. All right. So that's your public land setup. And we're going to break this down a little bit more in a second. But let's talk about your private land setup. What differs there? You know, it's a, it's a big difference whenever you're hunting private land. You know, you it's less pressure. You, you don't have to worry about worrying or you don't have to really worry about if a hunter's going to be in your tree or in your area. So, like, basically, when it's when it's private land, I know that I have a certain section to myself, so I can kind of modify it to where I'm comfortable. It's kind of like kind of like when you're in your room, you have your things spaced out where you like it. So, like, basically, if it if it's a um, private land setup, here's what I'll do: I'll take my Kabir deer deer attractants and I'll put that out. Because first off, here in Louisiana, it's illegal to use any kind of bait for deer. So it kind of, you know, it helps. It helps videoing a lot, a lot. Because public land, you know, a deer's walking. Let's say a buck's, in, a buck's coming through. If nothing there to stop him, you have to get the deer to stop. You know, it, trying to capture it on camera that can also mess up your chances of harvesting the deer. Whereas public land, I can put out attractants like I want. And I can clear out what I want, cut down a tree if I if I have to, which is very seldom because I like to I like to get in like you know corners of fields and stuff like that, and, you know, wide open that us look good through a camera lens because that's how I think of it. I think of everything through a camera lens. Would this look good if I was watching this on TV? Would this look good? Would this angle look good? Or you know, would it look good harvesting the deer here? So like that's the kind of things that I do there. I have a uh, tracking out. So like when a deer does come out, it'll stand the corn pile or whatever I have out for a that's the amount of time to where I can get the camera on it, focus, get set up, draw back, and shoot the deer, you know? It, 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 public land gives, I mean, private land gives you a lot of time to think about yourself. You don't have to worry about competition is what I'm saying. Gotcha. All right. So how, how many piece, How many pieces of property are we talking about? Let's, how many pieces of public land do you hunt, and how many pieces of private do you have set up? Public land, I have two main places. I have um, one of the... <laughs> One of the worst places, but also holds quality there, would be the Thistleweight Wildlife Management Area here in Louisiana. And if you ask any hunter who hunts public land, you say Thistleweight, the first thing that comes to mind is palmettos. And uh, I'm not sure if you guys know what palmettos are, but these are some some of the darndest little vegetation that grows around here. And I mean, you see palmettos anywhere if you come to south, the central part of Louisiana, all the way down to south. And uh, it'll be Thistleweight, and it'll also be another place called Spring Bayou. Spring Bayou is one of my favorites because it's, you know, it, it's a lot it's a lot clearer. You can see a lot further in the woods. And, I mean, the scenery is just awesome. I love the scenery of it. Uh, describe the scenery. What, what are we looking at? If you had to describe it to somebody that's never seen this from afar and you have to just use your words, what, what does that look like? Spring Bayou, when it comes to, when it comes to mind, this is exactly what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of hardwood bottoms. And around this time of year, the, the uh, vegetation that was there, everything is a is a yellowish tan tint that's on the ground, which I find amazing. And uh, the the amount of oak trees that you see, it's just crazy. Whenever you look in the woods and you see this many oak trees, but, you know, they're, they're, it's not like buttonwoods. They're spaced out to where, you, you know, it's clear enough for you to hunt. You don't have to worry about making a lot of noise walking through the woods. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Now, whereas this way, you can't see 10 foot in front of you. <laughs> Calmetics take over. Gotcha. What is this plant? What does it look like? How tall is it? What is it? A, a palmetto can be anywhere from knee high to over your head, man. Uh, it looks like a big old fan. A fan that you like an old time fan, the ones that uh that you see in the movies in yes. uh in yeah, China, yeah. the ones that kind of fold up. Yep. Okay. Like that. Now I'm getting the visual. Okay. All right. So you're you're kind of hunting in you know what I would classify as almost semi tropical type settings in a way compared to where I live yeah. anyway. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm as far north as you can get without getting into Canada and, and you're on the southern part of the country. So as far as the, the, the climate, it's generally warmer there, I would assume. That's what, what yeah, kind of, sure. what kind of temperatures are we talking about generally during deer season? And when do your deer seasons oh, run? How long do they run? Yeah. Our bow season runs from October 1st until February. Okay. The bow hunters. Wow. Yes, sir. So we have a, we have a good stretch. That's a long season. And what type of temperatures do you encounter typically during that time of year? Ah, this year, this year has been one of the oddest years ever. We we were in December and we we were in sixteen seventy degree weather, whereas it should have been in the you know fifties and forties, somewhere around there. So I mean, every now and then we get a cold spell, and I try to take advantage of it. But this year has been way warmer than what I'm used to. I was actually hunting. I was actually hunting in cut off t-shirts in uh, December, which is not usual. Wow. Okay. And how does that affect your deer herd? Does it, I mean, it, it, it's going to affect movement somewhat, although maybe they're used to it. I don't know. Different herds adapt. What, how does that affect the movement down there? Um, by the way, the, the way it seemed this year being that it was, you know, I've never hunted, I've never hunted to where it was this bad, but this year hunting it, I have to say it actually did some good because I've seen, a, the, I've seen the most amount of deer I've ever seen on stands this year. Um, I'm guessing, you know, being that it was warm, they kind of stuck to their summer pattern. So, I mean, I seen plenty of bucks. Bucks were out during daylight and I was overwhelmed by that. So, I mean, I, I guess the warmer weather with a mixture of the cold spells that we did have kind of helped it out. Okay. How many deer are you allowed to take during the season or during the bow season where you are? Six. Six. All right. So you've got a decent amount. You got a good population of deer. Yes, sir. Okay. And what would a like a what would a good eight pointer usually weigh? Is it, can you give us some um, address the size of the animals that you're usually encountering? A good deer here would be a good deer that you know that you would be pleased with that you can call a trophy here would be in the range of one sixty to one hundred eighty pounds. That's the first thing that comes to mind. If you ask somebody to drink a perfect deer, a lot of people around here I say one hundred eighty pound eight point. <laughs> Okay. All right. That's that's a good reference point for us to kind of get get them in, in our head. So, what are they feeding on? What types of vegetation are they they browsing on? Is it uh, you know in the north we're talking about or where dusty is? It's usually corn and soy in the in the, the agricultural fields. In the north where I'm at, it's acorns and hemlocks and you know browse and but not a lot of agriculture. What are we talking about for? food for the deer in that area yes sir um around here we uh have we have nodal trees uh nodal oaks uh we have red oaks stuff like that and um we also have this uh plant called the honey locust and it's a it's a it's actually kind of hard to describe what it looks like but the character is it it's it, it's it's about you know they range from five to ten inches long and it's flat and slender and have seeds inside of it and deer tend to eat on that there and they eat on briars here like they do in, in any other state. Um, they uh, also we have these we have blackberry bushes, the little blackberries. They do eat those whenever those are available. Okay. And like here in Louisiana, anybody will tell you if you have a drop a producing acorn tree, don't have you don't have to worry about corn or anything. Find yourself a producing acorn tree, and you, <laughs> chances are you're gonna kill a deer, or at least you're gonna see one. Interesting. All right, so acorns are a key crop for you. Something you want to yeah. hone in on as a hunter. You're paying attention to that. Yes, sir. You definitely want to keep an eye out for a producing age country. Interesting. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about your kind of setup, and I'm going to have Dusty kind of take it from here and, and talk about the types of clothing you wear in the woods, the types of scent control you use, what you bring in your backpack, kind of weapons you're using. Break it right down to every little detail. 
let's let's open the zipper up and, and lay out on the ground everything that you pack in your backpack. Yes, sir. The first thing, whenever you, if you were to grab my backpack and open it up, you'd see um, a wind checker, a three D, a three D dead downwind wind checker. Um, you'll find you find an extra set of socks. I'm very big on that because, like I said, here in Louisiana, there's water everywhere, and whenever you hunt in new boot, new boots. Anything's allowed to happen. So I always keep an extra pair of socks because my feet get cold really fast. Uh, second, I'll keep a, uh, I'll keep a jacket inside because on my, on my walk to the stand, I tend to sweat a lot. So I keep the jacket on the, in my book sack to where I can just walk regular with my shirt on so I don't break too much of a sweat. So when the afternoon comes and it gets cooler, I don't, you know, freeze. So I keep the jacket in there. Um, I'll also keep a bottle of water just in case I get thirsty. Um, Another thing I like to do, being that I film, I keep zip, Ziploc bags in my bag. And that's for just in case the weather, you know, you know, we have a 10% chance of weather, 10% chance of rain. I just like to be safe and have those Ziploc bags to where I can either put my phone in there and most importantly, cover my camera gear. So I keep about 10 of those in there. Mm-hmm. Anything else? In I, also, I, also keep, I also keep a spare, two, two belt heads, two extra belt heads. Keep those in there just in case anything was to happen uh, just like I like to have it, like my grandpa always told me, best to have it and not need it, and need it and not have it. So I kind of like to have an excess of things. Yeah, that's a good phrase your grandfather taught you there. Yes, so we sir. get into your backpack. What kind of camouflage are you using down there in Louisiana? Here in Louisiana, I break it down into two ways. It all depends on what type of woods I'm hunting. If I'm hunting around my home, my home around my hometown, which is a lot of swamp bottoms, you know, you have uh, hardwoods like uh, acorn trees. Um, you'll find uh oak trees and stuff like that. I like to use the mossy oak breakup infinity pattern. It's a darker pattern because uh, here in Louisiana, the, the ground here is, you know, it, it's a it's a darker tint for where I hunt. And uh, I like to use that pattern. Now, if I'm if I'm hunting in the northern spot, northern areas, such as, um, let's say, uh, if I was to go to in uh, Allen Parish, Allen Parish has a lot of pine woods and the pine trees, that particular setup, I'll use real trees. The real true AP, I do. I use that because um, it, it's a lighter, it's a lighter color, and it blends in with the pine trees perfectly. Gotcha. So real, uh, <clears throat> real tree AP is that correct? Yes, sir. Gotcha. Now in Louisiana, tell us what kind of tree stands you're hanging on the trees there. Here in Louisiana, my most, the, the most vital tree stand to me would be a climber. It would be a climbing stand, um, public land wise. It would be a climbing stand because it's so. It, it, the maneuverability of it, I mean, you can just, if you jack up a tree and you see it's pretty pressured and you have other hunters coming in your area, you can always jack down and go find somewhere else. Whereas if you had a uh, hang-on tree, you have to go through a lot more trouble getting it down. So I like I like climbers, and I use the old man climber because it, it's comfortable. I, I can pack it up. You know, it's not too heavy. So I uh, just strap my bags and everything up to it and everything together. It'll be a, maybe about 30, 40 30, 40 pounds, so there's nothing nothing too hard on my back. Right, yeah, it makes sense. Do you ever use a ground blind or anything in Louisiana? Uh, no, sir, I do not. I'm actually, I have a phobia of that. I, I do not trust, I do not trust hunting in a ground blind. And uh, one the- of my reasons is I've seen the pigs that run around here, and I do not want to be eye level with those things. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. And, yes, sir, and, and definitely during rifle season, no, sir, I refuse to be in a ground blind. Yeah, I forgot about the hog situation. Yes, sir. All right. Oh, it, it's bad here. Let's get in a little bit about your bow setup. What kind of bow are you shooting? I shoot a Matthews Z7 Extreme, um, a 28-inch draw. I have a 
dead center archery stabilizer, eight inch stabilizer. It's not too long and it isn't too short. It, uh, you know, fairly balances the bow pretty well. Um, I use a Scott caliper release. Um, that's my, that's my hunting setup right there. It's, it's comfortable. It's nothing too bulky. Like I see a lot of hunters use side bars. I just have no use for it. I see that, that adds on to, to consi- that adds on to more problems in uh, moving around through the woods. That's the setup that I have now, you know, it's, it's, it's lightweight. It's sleek. I can, I can maneuver with it, maneuver with it. And, you know, at the end of the day, by the time, after I get in that tree, I can still pick my bow up and draw back. <laughs> right. Yeah. makes sense. What kind of arrows are you shooting? I shoot deer crossing archery arrows. Um, Right now, I'm shooting the deer crossing archery small diamond arrows, and before I shot the deer crossing archery eco hunter arrows. And I must say that the arrows are—they will not break the bank, but the quality is unmatched, man. These are some durable arrows. Right. Uh, what kind of broadhead? I shoot a Schwacker broadhead. I shoot Schwacker all day, every day. Uh, my favorite broadhead is a Schwacker two blade, two inch cut. Those are my favorite. No kidding. So you're shooting a mechanical two inch double bladed broadhead? Yes, sir. Gotcha. So let's get in a little bit about. Uh, let's say you're getting ready to go out on a hunt, and the and the you're going. Let's go to like the night before. Do you take a shower and kind of scent control soap or anything? Yes, sir. What I'll do is, uh, and it all depends on how lazy I am. I'll either take a shower the night before with uh with evolve dead down wind uh scents, or the the morning before I go out. If I know that I'm going to be kind of agitated in the morning, I take my shower the night before and just head out in the morning. Um, Yes, sir, and, and that it's pretty simple. I've got it. I got a two. Uh, it's a two um, two thing system. I'll just shower in the morning, and then once I get out of my truck, I'll spray down, and then that tends to work for me. Before well, I can actually say I've never been winded yet. Gotcha. No kidding. What uh, what kind of spray are you using? Oh, I use the uh, dead down wind uh, field spray. Gotcha. And uh, you say you've never been winded. How high are you getting in the tree with your climber? I'm I'm comfortable at. I get about twenty five. Every if it's a if it's a uh, if it's a tall enough tree and I see that it's thirty, I'll get I'll get I'll get thirty. I'll you be honest get, with you. I do enjoy being high. Do you ever get a nosebleed up there? Oh no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Not yet, at least. I'm <laughs> just making sure that's way up there, man. That's way up there. Nor do you not get winded. No sense. kidding. You're up there with you, you got to call in like a uh, you got to get like an elevation for your flight. You know. Yeah, the, the eagles might pick up on what you're doing up there, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and the reason why I do it because I know that I'm, you know, I'm carrying a lot more in the tree that a that a that a regular hunter would have would have in there. I have a camera on. I have a bag up there with lenses. I have, you know, I have a bow hanging from up there where most hunters lay their bow down on the calmer. I have everything, you know, kind of exposed. So I like to have a few extra five, six feet, you know, to uh, you know, take away from my error. I like to be safe. Yeah, that that, that makes sense, you know, and and I think. Uh, the higher elevation that you get, the less likely that you're going to either get one pegged out or two, you know, get caught moving when you go to draw your bow back. And I, I can agree with that, but I don't like to be up that high. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the heights. Yes, sir. When, when you get out there and, and you say you've got uh, a camera gear, let's kind of run through what you use as far as uh, camera arm on your tree when you're when you're hunting. Can you tell us a little bit about your setup? My setup right now is really simple. It's, it's really budget friendly, is what it is. I got what I got the best for what I can afford. Right now, I use a Gorilla camera arm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really simple. You just ratchet it on, clip your quick release plate in, and you can start filming from there. Um, for second angle, I'll use my GoPros. I'll have one on the bow, and I also have one on the bow hanger, so I can get that that I can catch 
everything that's going on. So if I wanted to ever do a tutorial on a rundown on what what goes what happens whenever deer is actually in frame and you know what's the best way to move your camera whenever it's looking at you and when it's not looking at you and stuff like that. So I like to have a point of view of the whole situation that's going down. Yeah, it makes sense. What uh, what kind of camera are you using? I use a Canon uh, Rebel T three I DSLR. Okay. And GoPro, any particular ones, threes or anything? Yes, I use the three plus, uh, a white edition and a black edition. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so we kind of ran through your backpack, your tree stand setup, your camouflage, and we got into your camera gear. Jay, let's go on a hunt. Yeah, let's go on a hunt, Jim. I want to go on one of your most memorable deer hunts, if you could, and, and kind of set it up ahead of time where maybe even a week out, 48 hours, whatever it is, before the actual kill shot. You yeah. know, your, your hunts, you've got private land, you've got public land, but there's got to be a couple of hunts or maybe one hunt in particular that kind of sticks out in your head when I ask you that question. And yes, sir. I'd like you to kind of bring us on a play-by-play, slow it down a little bit, kind of give us the, the, the real important details as, as you, the hunt un, unfolded here. And so yes, where are we going? Uh, we're going to, we're going to take a trip up to North Louisiana, North Louisiana. Uh, Homer oh. to be exact. Homer. Okay. Yes, sir. Very nice. Um, uh, my dear friend, who's like a brother to me, he's also the owner of Blood Deep Outdoors, Joseph Nicholas. He invited me on this bow hunt, um, we actually had a wager. He said if I made a good grade on my, uh, if I made a A on my test, he'd film me the first day, and I'd film him the next day, and I end up getting a B on the test. Right, so, what, you know, I had to... What was the test? Sir? What was the test on? Uh, what was that test? Test was, if I'm not mistaken, it was a, it was a geometry project. Project. Okay. Got it. Project. All right. All right. Yes, sir. And I ended up getting a B on it. So, you know, being a man of my word, I told him I agreed to it. And uh, I thought about this hunt all week, and I said... Man, with my luck, the day I have to film is the day a big old buck's going to walk out. And, you know, North Louisiana is, is known for, you know, the deer population. It, it's pretty, it's, it's nice. It's better, it's better hunting than down here, I okay. might say. Gotcha. Um, and the week going by, I, I can't get it off my mind. During school, all I'm thinking about, man, we're going on this hunt in North Louisiana. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to get a chance to get filmed because I hardly ever have a chance to get filmed because I do pretty much everything solo filmed. Yeah. Um, and I was just so excited. And uh, we finally get there. We took a long ride there. We talked about it. We talked about the rundown situation, how we're going to celebrate, how we're going to celebrate, um, what we're going to do, what's the first thing we're going to do whenever we kill the deer, how we're going to eat it and everything. We were just reminiscing on it before it even happened. And we tend to do that a lot. And um, we get there. I go to sleep at about, no, we get there and we go set stands out 10 o'clock at night. This is the first time I've ever actually set a deer stand out at night, not being able to scout. Um, so it, it was new for me and um we get out there the next morning it's going kind of slow uh we get in there and <laughs> the most memorable part about that hunt was how skinny that pine tree was with me and him in it i kid you not the tree was so skinny i could literally hug the thing and touch my elbows and uh you know i wasn't too big on that because the guy that i went with mr joseph he was about 200 pounds soaking wet and i'm you know 121 something around the time so we get up there and my heart's dropping. So we get up there about 20 feet. And uh, like I said, it was going slow. We had a few squirrels here and there, here and there. And all of a sudden, I hear him moving. And my heart drops. It's like, I just knew that there was a deer. And when I look back, he says, Jim, that's a deer. And when he said that, I, when I tell you to smile on my face. So um, the deer walks out and we're getting everything set. I'm getting the camera set. I'm standing up. And another one walks out and I'm whispering at him. Hey, Mr. Rick, there's a deer on my side. There's a deer on my side. 
hey, mister, there's a deer on my side. There's a deer on my side. And he finally heard me. And he turned, he, he draws his bow. And I guess he didn't hear what I said. And keep a note, I was 15 years old at the time. I was eager. I've always wanted to shoot at a deer with my bow. And the whole time I had my bow in my hand, arrow, everything, ready to rock and roll. And I tell him, hey, I have a shot. I have a shot. And he wasn't responding to me. So the first thing I took, I took initiative and said, okay, I guess he wants me to shoot the deer. So I draw back on the dough. And exactly what it was, it was a button bug. And I draw back on it, broadside, maybe 18 yards. The first deer I've ever drawn back on and was able to release an arrow on it. And I let that arrow fly. And <laughs> when I tell you it was the weirdest thing ever, I didn't know whether I hit the deer or whether I missed him clean. Whatever it was, I, I just I just had a eerie feeling. And uh, <laughs> my friend, he looks back at me and he gives me this god-awful disappointing look like, bro, what did you do? I thought the deal was <laughs> I was going to shoot the deer. <laughs> He gives me that look, and you know, uh, and um, immediately my feelings start to set in. I was sad because I didn't let him shoot at the deer, and second, I I missed the deer. I took it upon myself to try and kill the deer, and I end up missing it. So um, I text him, <laughs> and we're still in the tree. I said, "Man, I want to cry." And what he replies is, "It it was so funny. It wasn't funny at the time, but now that I think about it, it was hilarious." And he says. We'll talk about it after we get down from the tree. <laughs> and we, when he told me that, I was like, yeah, he's not too happy with me. And um, the rest of that day, we didn't see anything. We stayed there three days. We didn't see anything on the uh, the following two days. So, you know, it, it was a learning experience. And that actually made us closer. It made us closer. I can't see that. That was one of the most uh, feeling-filled, memorable hunts that I've ever had. One of them. Gotcha. All right. You want to take us on another hunt? So what's the yes, what's the largest deer you've ever taken in Louisiana? Largest deer I've ever taken in Louisiana would be about 90 pounds, 90 pounds. Okay. Gotcha. And as, as far as like hunting solo versus hunting with a cameraman, which do you prefer? Um, it all depends. It all depends on, on, you know, public land. I would be more than happy to have a cameraman out with me because of, you know, you're not able to use bait. So if a deer's walking, you, you know, it can be, you let the cameraman worry about following the deer with the camera. And all I had to do is make them stop and shoot. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, a, that, that's the scary part. I've actually had a buck come in on me and uh, I wasn't, I wasn't able to get him to stop. I didn't even try. I was just so overwhelmed. I didn't even try to get him to stop. I was just focused on filming him. And, um, you know, that, that would be the, the biggest problem for me. But otherwise I do, I can say I do enjoy solo filming. Gotcha. You know, it, 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 it's just, uh, you know, I get a big feeling of gratitude from it. Gotcha. To be able to say, I filmed this deer and harvested all on my own while running the camera, that's something pretty big to me. Very cool. And if you, do you have any tips for the, the hunter that wants to start filming their hunts? Like, what kind of equipment should they start out with? What kind of tips would you give them to ensure that they're going to get some good footage? For a hunter who's just starting, who, who, who expects good footage, I tell them to get them a GoPro. Okay. And a camcorder, because the DSLR is, you know, they're a little bit more diff- high-tech and difficult to run than a camcorder. A camcorder, you know, the zoom, you go, you just press a button and it's going to zoom however much and then you just let go. Whereas a DSLR, you have to roll it every time backward and forward, and you have to also focus it. Whereas a camcorder, it'll do all that for you, focus it for you. But, um, you know, it, you know, you can you can get great footage from a maybe a $150, $200 refurbished uh, camcorder. That's how I started. Now, this is a... Uh, 
you know, consume in high definition, you know, that's, that's the biggest concept. And the GoPro adds on, you know, GoPro, I call it the fun camera because you can see everything that's going on. You can see all the fun that's going on. So, you know, I, you know, set the GoPro up somewhere where it can capture everything going down. Gotcha. All right. Very good tips. Excellent. Very, very nice. All right. So I've got a few questions I like to kind of run down uh, in kind of rapid fire questions, if that's cool. And yes, sir. they're kind of a uh, thought provoking, um, of all the hunting tips you've ever encountered, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? My number one hunting tip of all time. That one's easy. Okay. And it would be, do not get caught moving. Stay still and silent. <laughs> that's my number one tip. Yeah, that's a good one. Do not that's, get caught moving. <laughs> movement matters. That's for sure. No, that's a very good one. Yes, sir. Okay. So if, um, of all the things that you carry with you in the woods, not your weapon, not your camera. Perhaps a good luck charm. Perhaps it's just something that makes you a better hunter. I don't know what it is. Maybe it just makes you feel better. What's that one thing that if you leave it in your vehicle while you're in the tree stand and you know you don't have it, drives you nuts all day? What's that one thing you feel naked not having with you? <laughs> this one here is easy. Many a times I forgot my quick release plate. And it goes, it, it, it's the mount that allows my camera to model onto my tree arm. And a lot of times I've forgotten that. And the whole time my hunt goes uneasy because the first thing that comes to mind is a big buck's going to walk out. This is my chance to capture the harvest on camera and I forget my quick release plate. And I'll have to make a decision. Either sit here and just film the deer free handily or just, you know, shoot the deer now and take pictures later. So it would be the quick release plates because I'm a careless person. I, I can take things, put them down and forget them. It would be that. Gotcha. All right. Um, if you had a billboard, let's say that you had your own billboard and yes, sir. it was it was out there on the highway and you had complete control of it, what would you put on that billboard? I would put, well, from my perspective, for what I do and what I try to bring forth through my videography would be real, Swamp Bottom Media, reality captured from a hunter's perspective. Gotcha. All right. What's your number one hunting book or, or magazines, like where do you obtain knowledge other than TV? Cause you said you had, you do TV. Do you read it all? Do you try to uh, read magazines and articles? And if so, where do you get all that information? Yeah, sure. I do. I do do a little bit of reading, not much, but I do. Um, it'd be filled in stream, filled in stream and uh, filled in stream because they actually give you a rundown on, you know, setups and ideas and, you know, possible um, situations that can happen. They'll, it's, it's almost like, Building stream is almost like would be a playbook for a football player because, but it's a hunter's playbook because they'll actually give you a uh, an article about a situation that actually has happened to somebody, whether it be turkey hunting, fishing, or even deer hunting. They give it, you know, they give you a play by play on where the deer is going to walk, or you know, where should you set your stand up, and it gives you these pinpoints and it tells you, um, gives you all the details and everything, the tips and everything on how you should hunt the area. So I do. I do a lot of reading on a uh, building stream. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. You meet a stranger in, a, in an elevator and you open up a conversation. They ask you, what do you do? For, what do you do for a living? What do you say to that? I'll tell them I, um, ah, that's a, you know, that's a really good question. What I tend to tell people is my name is Jim Caesar and I film all of my hunts. I film all of my hunts 24 seven and I'm a bull hunter. That's what I tell them the first thing. And from there, they'll, you know, venture off and ask me, well, what do you have? What do you have to show me? Do you have this? And then I'll go in the show in my videos. That'd be the first thing I tell them. Um, and I also say that I would love to do it for a living. Very nice. Um, and this is one of my favorite questions. What did you have for breakfast this morning? 
What did I have for breakfast this morning? I ate a bag of Doritos before I went to school today, <laughs> which That's is not a, very usual for me because I love to eat. <laughs> a beautiful bag, thing right there. Bag of Doritos. Excellent. <laughs> Breakfast of champions. Very nice. All right. And when you hear the word successful, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Does it have to be an individual or could it be like a role model in the outdoor industry? can be anybody that pops into your head, any individual. When I think of success, but what I do, and like some guys that I look up to, it's actually a team of people. It'd be Heartland Bow Hunter. I enjoy watching those guys. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the, you know, the film quality and footage that they capture. So I do look up to them, and I, and I, you know, that's that's kind of they kind of inspire inspire me to, you know, yeah. better my uh, efforts and everything. So those dudes are definitely. In my eyes. We have a lot of respect for those guys too, and uh, I, I'm not surprised actually. Now I look at what you're doing, what they do, and the the, the quality of the videos that you both and, and the efforts that you put into your videos, I can see why you would you would gravitate towards those guys. They're they're uh, they're good friends of ours, and uh, the last time we had them on the show, there one of them was somewhere on a phone, the other one was in a fishing tournament as they were doing the podcast interview, and it was fantastic. <laughs> yep, good stuff. Sure. Awesome, Jim. This has been a pleasure. And and where can we find more about you and Swamp Bottom Media? And, and you know what what what's coming up for the rest of this year from you? What's what what's your plan? Um, my plan here this year is to get better. I always strive to get better every year, and um, every year I always do a run a run back and look at all my previous footage, uh, my previous pictures, videos, and see how can I better myself. Every year, that's my plan. You know. I'm trying to better myself. And you can always see what I'm up to on Facebook or Instagram. I always have, uh, I try to do weekly posts of what's going on in my hunch, you know, you know, something like that. I try to keep people updated. All right. And how do we find you on Instagram and Facebook? What's your call sign? Um, Facebook would be Jim Caesar, G-E-M-C-E-A-S-A-R. And my Instagram would be at Archer Jim, A-R-C-H-E-R underscore underscore G-E-M. Got it. Excellent, man. Been an honor and a pleasure, and I, I'm a big fan of your work. Keep it up. It's amazing that you're doing this where you are today. And where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Next 10 years, I see myself actually having my own show. Okay. The next 10 years. And what are you going to call it? You got a plan? Um, I haven't really thought about that All right. yet. <laughs> well, you don't have to answer that yet, but we're, you know, we're behind you 100%. I think you're doing great work. And, Dusty, do you have any final questions for Jim? No, I don't, Jim. Best of luck in chasing your dream, buddy. Yeah, keep up the, the fantastic work, and thanks for being on the Big Buck Podcast. You listen to a kid like that talk, and it just, you know, it just makes your day. You just know that there's good in the world and that uh, people have visions about where they want to take their lives, and, you know, it's starting early, and this, this, this kid's motivated. Yeah, definitely, Jay. It's, uh, it's, it's super impressive to hear a 17-year-old young man with the knowledge and, and, you know, information that he was passing out about what he does and how he sets up his tree stand. And, you know, that's somebody that's dedicated and putting the time in to figure it out. Uh, I just uh, I like talking to, to people like Jim. Uh, best of luck to you, Jim, and thanks for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. And if you ever need anything, you know, we're just, uh, just a phone call away. So keep up the great work. We'll be following from afar. And uh, can't wait to talk to you again, you know, when in 10 years when you're sitting atop the, the charts on the outdoor outdoor channel uh that's going to be amazing that would be very cool 
So do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week, Dusty? Yeah, well, we're going to get in a little bit more about Predator Hunt, Jay, and, and the, the trapping aspect of the Predator. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that think about trapping coyotes and, and they don't uh, kind of know how to set up any kind of traps or what kind of traps to produce or what kind of traps to purchase. So, you know, I'm going to suggest that you get out there and, and YouTube it. Uh, all the information you need to know about trapping predators on your place or your place that you hunt is right there based on YouTube. And if you just go into YouTube and type in coyote traps, it'll bring up everything you need to know about a leg trap, a snare trap, any kind of trap you want to set. So that's my Chubby Times Tip of the Week. Hit YouTube up for some coyote trap sets. Very nice, man. Uh, just before we uh, we kind of wrap up on the show, I'd like to kind of go down through our calendar, let you know who we've got coming up in, on future shows in February and in March. Um, I'm going to be speaking to uh, a fellow by the name of Adam Lewis, who has studied the the deer sound. He's a deer sound expert and has come up with some innovative ways to conceal sound while moving through the woods. And he's a good deer hunter. Uh, we're going to be talking to Adam coming up. Um, after that, we got Big Al from Fox Pro. He's going to give us some information speaking about coyote hunting. Going to give us some information about how to coyote hunt correctly with audio equipment and um, you know, Fox Pro is one of the best names out there for this kind of stuff. But it, Big Al is going to join us and let us know what's going on uh, in at Fox Pro and how to hunt better. And then we got Nick Munt from Bone Collector. He's always good friends with Travis T Bone Turner and Michael Waddell. And Nick Munt's going to join us on the show after uh, the Fox Pro. And then we've got uh, Heartland Bow Hunters coming back on and Tag and Break. So we've got a full lineup coming up in the next several weeks. So you definitely want to stay tuned for those interviews. All those interviews are going to be fantastic and add a lot to your bag of tricks in the deer woods. That's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a super great month. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in with us every week. Yes, sir. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here with me on the microphone? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. You can also hit me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler. And if you'd like to shoot me an email, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. Jay, where can the folks reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Uh, best place to reach me is jay at bigbuckregistry.com. That's my email address. Uh, you can find us on Clamor, actually. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, and if you have an iPhone, check out the Clamor app and then uh, do a search for Big Buck Registry. You can also find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. And of course, our, our flagship uh, social media site is Facebook. That's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Facebook. If you would like to submit a photo to that Facebook page and get in front of about 200 20,000 something diehard deer hunting fans. Uh, we have a mechanism set up for you, and all you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck, and all the instructions are right there for you. And just, just a, a note anything that all the pictures that are emailed in will get preference over the other methods by which they arrive. So just keep that in mind. If you really, really, really need to have your picture featured on a Facebook page, that's the way to do it. Uh, other than that, you can always give us a call at 724 613 Two five and uh, in future shows we are going to start lining up some live call in phone calls for people to call in and actually ask questions of our guests. So stay tuned for instructions on that. We will we will post a phone number on Facebook uh, the day of the event so you can call in and we'll get you lined up and get you to talk to some of your favorite hunting folks of all time. I think that's about it, Dusty. Did I miss anything? 
Big Buck everywhere. A big buck. Yes, sir. Well, I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. 